It is. I think the decentralization of this movement is what makes it so unstoppable. You know, there's no one central figure to for the government to take out. <laughs> there's no kind of one central thing to, to squash. Um, we're just going to keep going, keep building, keep pursuing liberty. And these old centralized power structures, I don't think they're going to be able to hold on in the long run. Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Ben Nadelstein from Monetary Metals. I'm joined by Maine State Senator, Senator Eric Brakey, who's also the new executive director at the Free State Project in New Hampshire, and my favorite renegade statesman. Mr. Brakey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ben. Thanks so much for inviting me on the program. I'm really excited. Uh, for those of us who might not know about you or, or some of your history, can you give us a little bit of a background? Where are you from? What have you been doing? And what are you up to now? Yeah, boy. Uh, let me try to give you the short version as much as possible. Uh, but I've been in the liberty movement, like the Ron Paul movement, uh, since the Ron Paul campaign in 2012. I was a state, his state director in Maine. Um, from that, I ran for the state Senate in 2014. I've served, uh, I won, I've served three terms there, made two attempts at federal office. Neither of them took, um, but I'm finishing up my third term in the main Senate after a pretty, I'd say pretty successful kind of run fighting for all sorts of Liberty from second amendment rights, passing constitutional carry cannabis freedom and all that. But in my final term, I've, I've had a real particular focus on, on monetary policy, which is not something you think too much about on the state level, but uh, things ranging from simple things like trying to get rid of the sales tax on gold and silver, uh, trying to get rid of the income tax on gold and silver, recognizing gold and silver as legal tender again. I even had a bill in to try to establish a, a state bank that would mint our own uh, gold and silver coinage and allow people to deposit it. And anyway, there were a lot of interesting kind of things I was thrown into the mix this past year. Sadly, with Democrats running the show in Maine, we got very close to eliminating the sales tax on gold and silver, but uh, but, uh, but no go. They uh, they killed that in the end. So Maine, sadly, um, a state that I love, the pine tree state, remains one of the worst when it comes to uh, economic freedom around gold and silver. Um but I am uh, at the end of my term. I'm moving to New Hampshire. I've already started my new job as executive director of the Free State Project. Our mission is to get liberty loving people, whether you're a constitutional conservative or a Ron Paul libertarian or kind of however you identify. If you're someone who loves freedom and liberty, we want you to move to New Hampshire and help us make New Hampshire the homeland for liberty. In fact, New Hampshire is currently ranked uh, the number one uh, most free state in America. Uh, there not only is there no uh, no uh, sales tax on gold and silver, there's no sales tax, period, and no income tax to boot. Um, so anyway, New Hampshire, I'm, I'm looking forward to moving there, making it my, my new home um, and looking forward to working with so many great people in the Free State Project community to, you know, make make the Liberty homeland right in New Hampshire. And to all your audience, they they're welcome to visit and welcome to move and join us. Provided they love liberty. If they love tyranny, they can move to New York. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell that segment of the Gold Exchange podcast audience. Uh, you, you might want to check out New York. So so question here for you. 
the, the Free State Project. Let's dive into that. Where where did this idea come from? Who's kind of started this project? And, and what are the current goals? Have they changed? I think the main idea, like you mentioned, is to have people who kind of think one way about liberty and life to kind of all move to one central location and see if they can you know, really enact change versus being scattered across the country. There might be the same amount of people, but it's really potent when everyone's in the same state. How, is, how has success been for the Free State Project? What are the goals and then how have those changed over time? Yeah. Well, uh, the organization has been around for a little more than 20 years now. Um, it was founded by uh, Jason Sorens, who basically, when he was a graduate student, uh, wrote a wrote a paper just kind of theorizing. Um, what if a bunch of libertarians chose to move to a single state and have a disparate impact there? Uh, and people chose the state of New Hampshire and the rest has been history. Thousands of people have moved to New Hampshire under the banner of the Free State Project. Uh, it's been very successful so far, but we still have much more progress uh, to make. Um, so that's 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 the <laughs> a little bit of the history and the, the short version. Um, but yeah, it is premised on this idea that, I mean, there are millions of libertarians scattered across America. Uh, and that's a lot of people. But in a country of over 300 million people, uh, a few million is a pretty small minority and scattered across the country, we can be dismissed pretty easily, both in terms of the culture and in terms of the politics. Um, But if you get even a fraction of those millions of people to concentrate in one state, like New Hampshire, which is a small population state, about 1.3 million people with already a very strong kind of libertarian ethic and spirit. I mean, the motto is live free or die for Pete's sake. Uh, and, uh, I mean, even small things, I've always been amazed, you know, like even something like, um, you know, I'm all a fan of wearing seatbelts, but I'm not a fan of like doing it with a gun pointed to your head. And New Hampshire is the only state in America where, you know, if you're 18 or older, it's your choice, right? It's, it's the little things. It's the little things that add up as well as the big things like no income tax, no sales tax, and uh, uh, amazing school choice policies, education freedom accounts, um, and and so far, so on. And of course, New Hampshire has been the uh, kind of cradle of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. If it wasn't for, I think, pioneers in that, uh, in the cryptocurrency movement in New Hampshire, we might not really have really Bitcoin uh, as we, as the dominating kind of market force it is today. So um, a lot of a lot of good is happening in New Hampshire. And, it, you know, with the free state movement, thousands of people are joining us to make New Hampshire more free. And, um, you know, you're all of our ancestors, wherever you come from. This is a nation of immigrants. Right. People packed up. They moved in search of freedom. Many times they had to get on a boat and sail for three months to come to uh, uh, the land of the free. Uh, sadly, I don't think the 50 states overall can still claim that title of land of the free, but New Hampshire still can. And uh, you don't have to get on a boat. You just need to get a U-Haul and drive to New Hampshire. And there'll be friendly, smiling faces here ready to help you unload, unpack, get into your new home. Or if you're not ready for that yet, just come and visit. We've got great events like uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Forum coming up uh, uh, with some great speakers in March and everyone's favorite, the Porcupine Freedom Festival in June. So those are great opportunities to come visit and see what New Hampshire is all about and what the free state movement's all about. 
And why was New Hampshire specifically chosen? There's other states. There's Florida. There's Texas. There's California. There's New York. Of all the 50 states, why was New Hampshire chosen? And how is you know New Hampshire as a unique state kind of actually helped this liberty movement along? Yeah, you know, actually, I had a fascinating interview with the founder of the Free State Project on my own pod podcast recently called The Porcupine Report, which you can find on all of our social media platforms and all your favorite podcasting apps, probably the podcasting app that your audience is listening to uh, this show on that can find the Porcupine Report. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, there was a whole process and basically the first 5,000 people that signed up as uh, uh, as pledgers to move got to vote on kind of which state um, would be the target state for the Free State Project. Uh, there's a part of me, to be honest, that wishes that Maine, which is you know where I hail from, and I've been invested um, in politics for the last ten years. Um, it was on the list, but it didn't it didn't make the cut. Uh, uh, people voted for New Hampshire for a number of reasons. One, there's already the libertarian ethic, the libertarian culture of New Hampshire. So we've mentioned it's the live free or die state. You had a governor at the time who was very welcoming to the free staters and said, you know, made the pitch for people to choose New Hampshire. Um, you have, um, you know, I, I know like a lot of folks are moving to Florida right now as conservatives, which I understand, you know, but Florida, Florida, if you pick a big state like Florida or California or or Texas or something like that. Uh, you know, you could you could get like a million people to move and you might not have much of an impact, but a small state like New Hampshire, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of people to have a, a really big impact. And of course, we're not um, we're not subverting the existing culture of New Hampshire. We're not trying to change New Hampshire into something that it, it already wasn't right. Um, maybe some of our progressive detractors accuse us of that, but, but frankly, uh, we are, we are keeping New Hampshire free. And of course in New England, uh, it's, there's not a lot of freedom in New England, but New Hampshire kind of stands alone and it's uh, really becoming a great beacon for freedom in the entire country. And I want to talk a little bit about strategy for kind of freedom lovers and maybe even, uh, tyranny lovers, if they're listening, maybe they'll, maybe they'll glean some insights as well. So how do you think about, you know, either on the policy level, getting these policies enacted? Is it really just a question of, you know, numbers game? Hey, you know, a million people in New Hampshire is a lot more than a million in Texas. Or is there certain strategies saying, hey, you know, let, let's try to change on the margin. If I run as a Republican and kind of push these Republicans to be a bit more libertarian, that might be more effective than, you know, running as a third party. What kind of uh, strategies have you seen either personally or, or for the free state that, that have worked really well that maybe other people can can take on in their own, maybe less free states? Yeah, well, so I'm going to have to speak a little bit of my personal opinion here, because, of course, the Free State Project is a 501c3 organization that does not, does not uh, get directly involved in politics. But the people we bring to New Hampshire certainly do. Um, in fact, many of our many free staters have run for the state legislature and have won. And in fact, uh, depending on how you count it, nearly a quarter of the New Hampshire House of Representatives are, are libertarians. Uh, so uh, li people who love liberty have a bigger voting block in the state legislature of New Hampshire than I, I imagine anywhere else in the country. Um, and that wasn't always the case. I mean, that's been a development over the last uh, over the last decade or so. A lot of the work here has come to fruition. Um, but um, if you're asking me personally, I mean, of course, I've run for office uh, multiple times. I've 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 even won a few races and served three terms in the main state Senate. 
Of course, um, I'm a philosophical libertarian that I don't want to hurt people and I don't want to take their stuff. I want people to enjoy maximum both in personal and economic liberty. Um, but I didn't run for the main state Senate as a, as a libertarian party candidate because I would have lost. Because the simple fact of the matter is um, the way that our political system is established Um if you're running outside of the two major parties, you are, you're at a significant disadvantage And that if you're running as an RRD, you probably have a floor of about 30% of the vote. You're going to get 30%. You just show up, you just get your name on the ballot, you're getting 30% no matter what because of that brand loyalty. And also the fear that people have of, you know, throwing away their vote and they – you know, they'll vote for what they perceive to be the lesser of two evils because they really want to stop Hillary Clinton or what have you. So um, so I'm a big believer that the Republican Party is the most effective vehicle for libertarians to run for office and win. And, um, you know, that's not to say that Dick Cheney or George W. Bush are people we should emulate. In fact, I think they're people that we should uh, displace uh, and we should take this political machinery away from the neoconservative movement that's run the um, Republican Party for so long. And thankfully, I think their grip has weakened uh, over the course of the last decade. Um, so, I mean, in New Hampshire, we're really seeing that come to fruition with how many people have won election to the New Hampshire uh, State House uh, and those people pushing a lot of liberty policies like some we have discussed. Uh, but of course, it's not enough to just get try to get all of the great people elected because anytime you're just thinking the way we're going to you know abolish tyranny and and pass liberty policies if we we're thinking we're going to do that by trying to get majorities of all the people elected who agree with us um well you're going to be waiting around for a long time um as Morton Blackwell has said, and I think this is this is a great kind of way to frame it, is that um, sometimes it's better to uh, try to shape the political environment around the wrong people to make it politically expedient for them to do the right thing, right? And so that's where having a culture of of liberty around the political class makes a big difference because most most politicians, I mean, it's a it's a self sorting bunch, right? The people people who love liberty, have a natural, and I totally understand it, and I feel it myself, we have a natural aversion to running for office. We'd rather run for the hills and be left alone, right? It is people who crave power, who love power, who are the natural people who are going to think, I want to run for office, so uh, wouldn't it be great if I got to boss people around and tell people how to live? And so there's a natural self, there's a natural selection there. Uh, and that's why, you know, as Hayek has noted, the worst tend to rise to the top. Um, in those systems. Um, but every politician has in the back of their mind a desire to win re-election and a fear of, of, of being thrown out of office. And so if you can make the case to them uh, that voting for liberty is the best way for them to maintain their position, whether they believe it in their heart or not, becomes rather um, besides the point, Right. I don't care if the politician genuinely believes in liberty as long as he's voting for liberty. And if it's out of genuine belief or out of self-preservation, I mean, a vote is a vote is a vote. So when we passed constitutional carry, which was a big initiative that I uh, led in Maine um, and has passed in New Hampshire and many other states around the country in the years since, 
right? There were a lot of, I'm sure there were a lot of politicians who voted for it for that reason. Maybe they didn't really love the idea of constitutional carry, but we got so many of their constituents to call and email and show up and, and basically made it very clear, you vote for this or you are going to face a tough re-election because all your, you're going to have all of these angry constituents gunning for you. Um, and we employed a similar strategy We got when we came close to eliminating the sales tax on gold and silver in Maine. Uh, many Democrats in, in the taxation committee supported it because of how many emails they were getting from people who made it very clear they cared about this issue. In fact, they were surprised how many people cared about eliminating the sales tax on gold and silver. Um, in fact, if it wasn't for a Democrat leadership coming in at the last minute and squashing it um, in the House, it probably would have passed. But um, uh, yeah, but but these are these are the the I think the two ways to have an impact is is the direct path to power and the indirect path to power. The direct path is certainly running good people and getting good people elected. But the indirect path that we also have to focus on is is uh, getting people involved in the outside game to shape the the environment around the politicians and holding them accountable in election season when they do bad or, you know, supporting them when they do good um, uh, when they're in legislative season. And I think a, a good example of that would be the Uber model, right? Um, I'm sure there's lots of libertarians in New York, maybe even more just in pure numbers than almost any other state. But, you know, there's people with libertarian leanings in New York. And I'm sure if you caught them at a bar and after a couple of drinks, they tell you, oh, the taxi monopoly is so horrible. You know, we got to get rid of this and it's not a free market and competition would be so much better. And imagine a world where, you know, the government wasn't um, colluding with these taxi companies to just kind of keep these uh, this monopoly afloat. And, and that probably got nowhere, right? Like, I, I don't I don't imagine that there's many people, you know, voting down their politicians saying, oh, my God, how do, how do you let the taxi medallion system stay on? But when Uber came around and Lyft came around, not only was there competition between these two different services and products, but it had a light shone on this kind of taxi medallion system, how silly it was, it wasn't necessary at all, right? Uh, you know, and, and Uber and Lyft not only are competition to taxis, but in many ways, I think most people would agree, are a much better product and service. And in a way, the free market just said, hey, you know, we don't need to have you guys vote on this. We don't need to have, you know, a legislator who's pro free market, uh, you know, ride sharing services. We can just create this product. It will spread like wildfire. And when our clients are constituents of a place like New York or New Hampshire or California, over time, it's the policies and the politicians who will say, listen, if I ban Uber, if I ban Lyft, people are going to be really, you know, really bummed yeah. about getting around town. And, and that's probably just not so politically viable, regardless of whether they were, you know, in the pocket of big taxi or if they like taxis themselves. It, it probably just wasn't politically viable in that environment to say, you know, we're going to ban all this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean there's no restrictions or that, you know. Uh, there might be unfair regulations, but at the end of the day, that that cartel has been completely broken up, as has you know the hotel industry with Airbnb, and hopefully other industries and, and other policy questions can be kind of pushed in a better direction simply by these outside forces. Uh, monetary metals is a good example, trying to fight the Fed with you know free market interest rates in gold and silver. Crypto, I think, is another example where people are saying, hey, you know. We can exchange value uh, outside of traditional financial systems. And then there's even things, regardless of whether you're pro or anti-guns, uh, there's 3D printed weapons, which you know now have to change the question about policy saying, well, listen, saying we're going to ban all weapons is just kind of impossible to do in a world where anyone can share a file and next thing you know, you can be printing something. So how do you see that kind of interplay between working outside the system and working inside the system? 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly think, I mean, Uber, the case of Uber really kind of demonstrates that um, if you are in a position where you're having to ask for permission um, to get started on something, you're in a very weak and vulnerable position because uh, a lot of established power structures that would just say, no, who are you to think that you can challenge the system as it is? Uh, you, But they just went ahead and did it. They uh, And uh, by the time the established power structures realized they were in trouble, they had such a wide customer base, a consumer base, that, uh, yeah, it was politically unviable to try to ban it and block it. Um, um, so, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's many paths to liberty, right? Um, uh, you can get directly involved in politics or you get, um, you know, I, I always think about like, you know, in the aftermath of the Ron Paul campaign, because of course he was, he's my uh, political mentor, um, and and so many people coming to him in 2012 after it was all said and done saying like, hey, you know, I want to uh, keep working for liberty. Like, what should I do? Tell me what I should do. And Ron Paul, being no central planner, said, I don't know. You got to figure it out. <laughs> There's a job out there for you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You know, you got to find what your passion is and how you feel the best way to kind of uh, advance kind of this this these ideals. And uh, certainly for me, it was running for the state legislature and do, doing policy work. Uh, but if he had told everyone, like, you know, run for the state, your state legislature, and that's the only way, um, well, maybe we wouldn't have had like the homeschool revolution where people said the way I'm going to advance liberty is I'm just going to raise kids. I'm going to homeschool them and I'm going to teach them about liberty and raise the next generation. Or you had people who literally took Ron Paul's message of ending the Fed and rather than like trying to pass a bill through Congress, which God knows we've tried <laughs> to even just audit the damn thing. Um, they went out and they pioneered and they invented cryptocurrencies, uh, like from Bitcoin through everything else. Um, and boy, they might actually just end the Fed. <laughs> I mean, good, 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 on, good on that. Or of course, what Monetary Metals is doing, which is creating you know, a way to save in gold and silver, uh, um, and um, and and to do kind of some more kind of traditional tr traditional kind of banking um, um, operations with it, even just earning earning interest on it, uh, which I'm a proud um, customer of Monetary Metals, and I really appreciate kind of um, the the model you guys are developing. I think it's something that that really uh, should be supported, and and people should benefit from. Um, I mean, so yeah, there, you know, there's a there's a job out there for everyone. If you care about liberty, you got to find out what that is. So maybe you pioneer a new path to to do it, or you look at what someone else is doing, and you go and you follow them and help them build what they're doing. Um, but certainly, I'm not I'm not going to say that uh, politics is the only way. It is the way I'm most familiar with. Maybe I'm not talented enough to uh, <laughs> for some of these other things, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, I think the decentralization of this movement is what makes it so unstoppable. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no one central figure to for the government to take out. <laughs> there's no kind of one central thing to, to squash. Um, we're just going to keep going, keep building, keep pursuing liberty. And these old centralized power structures, I don't think they're going to be able to hold on in the long run. And I think that is a good point, which which you don't hear often made, which is, you know, actually the decentralized nature is the power, right? It's difficult to squash because there is no kingpin or linchpin that you can say, well, if we just, you know, take out your internet access or if we just, you know, take this person and make them go bye-bye, that 
everything goes away, there is actually opportunities, you know, for each individual to say, yes, I'm going to homeschool my child. I think that's a better idea. I'm going to earn interest on gold, not interest in dollars. I'm going to, you know, transact in cryptocurrencies or, you know, I'm going to protect myself with something that I made at home. And all these kind of options are much, much more difficult to enforce or regulate or tamp down than someone saying, hey, everyone, let's join, you know, my party or let's all um, do, you know, this one big thing at this one big company. And I think, you know, that is probably understated the ability of people to kind of come up with, like you said, decentralized solutions. Not everyone's going to want to homeschool their kids and that's fine. Um, but some people, you know, are going to get into crypto and some people are going to get into monetary metals and all these different things. And after a while, you'll have a full ecosystem of healthcare products to banking products to crypto products to, you know, self-defense products to security products to all these different things where someone can say, listen, there's the traditional option and then there's the better option probably from the market that I'm that I'm going to choose for myself and also as a, as a global nature as well. I'd like to jump on something that we, we've, you know, discussed offline, which is central bank digital currencies. A lot of people are worried about these. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the devil's advocate position, which might be, hey, listen, we already have digital currencies. The central bank is the one who controls these dollars. So in a way, we kind of had a central bank digital currency. You know, in Canada, they shut off those truckers' uh, payment <laughs> systems, and they said, all right, you know, that's enough of that. Um, how how close or far do you think we are from? this kind of central bank digital currency? Do you think we're already there? Do you think there's stuff um, that's still coming down the pipe? Or do you think that these kind of other alternatives from crypto to earning interest on gold and silver have already kind of put a wedge in these plans of central bankers? It's an interesting question. I I, I don't know how close we are to it. I mean, I know there's been a lot of discussion uh, by a lot of um, central bankers across the world, including at our own Federal Reserve, um, I think, who, who desire to have that level of control and um, and ability to spy on every single transaction we all make. Um, uh, certainly, you know, it is scary to think that, um, you know, rather than it kind of being something that they just kind of unveil one day, hey, we're, we want you to uh, adopt this. Um, it, it is scary to think that, you know, if, if, if there's a path for them to just kind of incrementally move us there and we, they've boiled the frog before we realized that the heat was being turned up. Um, so that, that, that is, uh, that is concerning, but, but I think as long as we have, um, I mean, certainly so many things are cash, um, and we, we still have, you know, physical cash, even if it's backed by nothing, right? Uh, so long as we can still transact in actual cash, uh, then I don't think that we have a, a CBDC, um, as, because you can, you know, you can you can step outside of that uh, electronic system, um, and and of course, I mean, right now, certainly the Fed is in control of a lot of things, and a lot of things are centralized with our our U.S. dollar. But you still do have the, um, you know, the 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 private banking system. I mean, I guess if you could call it private, you know, it's it's all hooked up to the Fed. But there is a there is a degree of separation of these 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 banks acting as intermediaries between the the end user of the currency and and the Federal Reserve, the issuing authority. Um, and so we aren't all on you know one big centralized ledger system that is controlled by the Fed, where they can just kind of you know where they can program your money and say your money's going to expire, you know, if you, you don't spend it how we want you to spend it or you're, or hey, uh, the government's decided you're overweight and we're putting you on a diet so you can't buy donuts with your money or like what have you. I mean, 
things that, um, you know, it was a great piece by Edward Snowden, um, Your Money and Your Life, I read a few years back, um, where I think he kind of outlined some of the dangers of this pretty, pretty darn well. Um, it's a good read. But um, so I don't think we're there yet, but I certainly do think there are the ambitions of many in central banking for that level of control. Um, and I think that we have to resist it um, in, in all sorts of ways. I mean, oh, there's been a big fight around the states around um, – actually, this just came through uh, the Judiciary Committee in Maine, which I serve on, about on um, the Uniform Commercial Code and uh, um, these amendments to Uniform Commercial Code creating um, uh, a framework for, for digital assets and digital currencies, which overall is an overall positive. You know, We want to have some clarity in the laws so people can use these things, but a lot of people were concerned – about this definition being put in for electronic money, which is basically creating a legal definition in state law for central bank digital currencies, making it potentially easier if a central bank digital currency was to be uh, un unleashed on America, that the legal framework would exist for um, it to be adopted more more easily. In Maine, we are we're not adopting that definition, and several other states have are doing the same. Um, so, I mean, that's one way to kind of resist is not is to watch out for the creation of a legal fr framework to make a transition to a CBDC uh, that would that would make that transition easier. I don't want it to be an easy transition. I want it to be a very difficult, messy transition if they try to push it on us. Uh, but then also, I mean, just kind of creating alternatives and trying to if we can if we can build up the um, the alternative alternative systems faster than they can establish a CBDC. I mean, by the time uh, by the time they get there, uh, people might just say, why do I want to use a CBDC? I've already got Bitcoin and Bitcoin is working great for me. Um, or, um, or, I, or I don't know, or I've got this <laughs> cryptocurrency that's backed by gold or silver or what have you. I mean, whatever, whatever the alternatives are, I think building up those alternative systems um, I think is essential so that we are not um, we're not vulnerable to being kind of in this kind of monopoly currency system that we've we, we'd lived under for, you know, at least all my lifetime until the last decade. Well, I like Michael Malice's quote, which is we don't need a majority. We just need an alternative. And I do think that, you know, especially on such complex issues like central banking, monetary policy, currency reform, these are really complex issues. And for someone who says, listen, I'm already homeschooling my kid, like I can't take another five hours to, you know, learn everything about central bank digital currencies, let alone learning it and then, you know, uh, causing change in policy. I think that alternative strategy is much easier for someone to say, hey, listen, it's in my own private benefit to, you know, earn a yield in dollars. Um, but, you know, compared to earning a yield in gold and silver, that's just way better. And so I'm going to stick with the alternative. Uh, and so by the time, like you said, that uh, worse option comes around where people say, well, you know, we're going to tax you on your, you know, meat purchases or what have you, that they could say, well, you know, at this point, I'm just going to switch everything over to crypto or monetary metals is going to be my way to save and, and you know, continue to grow my wealth. Um, do you see that people um, in general are kind of becoming more libertarian over time? I was pretty surprised during COVID to see how kind of authoritarian people could become at, at the flick of a switch. Do you think that over time, Americans are becoming kind of woken up to all this stuff? It's like, wow, this is really insanity. Inflation is in crazy. You know, uh, we, we've got a guy who can barely spell his own name, who's the president. And uh, of course, all these crazy wars where we're messing with Russia, who has, you know, nuclear weapons, as do we. 
Um, do, do you think people are waking up to this or, or do you think in general libertarians are kind of in a bubble saying, oh, trust me, like everything's going to, uh, you know, everyone's going to become libertarian tomorrow. W where do you think the country in the United States stands in terms of their their leanings? Do you think people woke up after COVID? Hmm. I wish I could tell you that I, I wish I could tell you I was confident the country was becoming more libertarian. I, I did think that maybe a decade ago when we were like, hey, are we having a libertarian moment? Looks like Rand Paul might become president or something. And uh, it didn't materialize exactly how I'd hoped. Um, I mean, I think that there are aspects or there are certain aspects or certain policy areas where people are becoming more libertarian or or things that uh, libertarians would identify with. I think that certainly it's a positive that I think in the aftermath of COVID and the aftermath of the tr Trump administration and, um, uh, I, you know, so many folks in on I think on in on the political right in this country have become much more skeptical of establishment institutions. Um, for example, I mean, you hear commonly on the right now, people really questioning the FBI and the CIA and the Federal Reserve. And you go back to the George W. Bush years. And um, I mean, it was the right wing that was celebrating um, uh, certainly the CIA and the FBI and all these intelligence agencies and, of course, the wars. Um, so, so on the right, I am somewhat optimistic that, uh, in some respects people, you know, I guess I'd like to think of it, uh, distinguish between people have become much more against a lot of the things that I am against. doesn't necessarily mean that they've become for the things that I am for, right? Uh, we can both be against, um, the FBI, <laughs> but if you are not, but if you, uh, think, well, I'm against the FBI, but what we need to do is reform it or what we need to do is uh, we need a better FBI or something like that. Um, you know, I, I think that as principal libertarians, we have a real opportunity right now to meet people in these moments. We're kind of where they're waking up about the the corruption of these institutions and provide the intellectual framework that leads us in the path to to um, to a more liberty answers. Um, but it's not an automatic um, sometimes, uh, when people are against something, they might be running to an even worse alternative, um, just because that's the alternative that presents itself. So we, we've got to present the better alternative and, and the framework there. But as far as convincing like a majority of Americans to love Liberty, I don't know. I, <laughs> uh, we're, we're so addicted to, um, to the, um, the welfare state. We are so addicted. We are so propagandized still by, um, so many, I mean, I guess the, the, the mainstream media kind of, um, a propaganda machine is losing its grip on, on a lot of American. That's a good thing. I don't know about convincing people. I could try to convince people one-on-one -on -one as best as I can. I've convinced a few people, but I guess these days I'm more and more thinking that, uh, the country as a whole, I I'm concerned is, uh, is a sinking ship and I don't see us, uh, persuading hundreds of millions of people to change their mind until things get perhaps as bad as they are um they got in argentina um but we can find those libertarians that are out there around the country and we can concentrate in one state like new hampshire so rather than persuasion i'm pursuing concentration let's concentrate in one state where we can create a liberty homeland that serves as an example for the rest of the country and if we want to change minds we can show how prosperous new hampshire is and will continue to be and uh, and, and be even more so as we pursue and establish policies of freedom. Um, and by being that 
that lighthouse, that beacon, then perhaps people living in the states of tyranny might wake up and say, well, th those policies are really working out in New Hampshire. Maybe, um, maybe those are things that we should be looking at adopting here and demanding from our politicians in our states. Um, but you need a good kind of working model of an alternative for a lot of people to to buy into the idea that this alternative system of freedom will actually work. In that vein, I really do like that model because if you ask someone who disagrees with you on some policy or some point, you know, you can say, hey, listen, all the people who believe in this can go to this state. You guys test it out over there. I'll go to my state. We'll test my ideas out over here. Listen, I could be wrong. It could be that, you know, 100% income tax is the great idea. Okay, we'll, we'll all end up going yeah. to a free and prosperous nation. Go to Vermont. Doubt. <laughs> yeah, go to Vermont. But if, on the other hand, maybe no income tax, uh, you know, you're saying, oh, my God, everyone's going to starve to death and we're all going to die. Well, why don't we test it out over here on the guys who, who like the idea? And if it works out great, you know, maybe your grandkids will end up moving to New Hampshire. In, in that vein, do you see this kind of more secession movement? A lot of people are saying, well, maybe Texas will secede or, you know, Texas wants to build a border wall, but the feds don't want it. Or, you know, New Hampshire wants to legalize marijuana, but it's criminalized at the, uh, at the federal level. Do you see there's kind of a push towards states saying, hey, we want to kind of assert our domain, assert our rights? Or do you think that in a way the federal government has kind of put their fingers everywhere and the states are kind of becoming, you know, all one big blob under the United yeah. States government? I, I think that it's healthy that we're having a conversation and dialogue about it in the country more than I think was ever permissible when I was growing up. Um, as far as like, is now the time for states to break away and secede? Uh, some people say yes. Um, I have a lot of questions about the practicality of how that would actually work. I do think that states have a right to secede. I mean, I think that our, that's what our country was founded on, right? <laughs> you know, the 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 uh, Declaration of Independence is like the best secessionist document ever written. Um, By the and, way, if uh, you haven't read it, it is really cool. Um, you know, try not to swear on the Gold Exchange podcast, but it is a bad document in all the good ways. Um, it's really cool. <laughs> if you haven't read it, um, I, I do recommend reading it because, because like you mentioned, it's this really interesting document all about, hey, saying, you know, we, we get to get out of here if we want to. And uh, yeah, I wonder what you think if, if Americans in general are kind of having this more secessionary moment. Yeah, I mean, it's right. I get. I suppose the question is like, when are we at a point where we recognize the system is not reformable and it's time to just like do something new and break away and do our own thing? Um, I um, and I know that's going to be on like the Republican primary ballot as like a sentiment of Republican voters in Texas. Uh, there is a lot of talk about it uh, within free state communities in New Hampshire. Not everyone supports secession, but some people do, and they're very vocal about it. And I think the conversation is healthy. I'm much more of a radical like 10th Amendment person, and I appreciate that uh, my radical 10th Amendment position seems a lot more moderate because of the secessionist talk. So I think that's that's healthy. And I, 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 it, it's odd for me to um, feel like a moderate when I'm saying we need to nullify all these unconstitutional policies from the federal government. Um, it, it, you know, I, it's it, it's good. It means the Overton window is shifting in the right direction. Um, so. You know, I, I suppose that'll be something people have to decide in their own states. Um you know, but I, I, I think it is hard to get one. I guess one of the stumbling blocks for me is as tyrannical as Washington, D.C. is and as tyrannical as these policies are that are destroying so much, we still really benefit from things like uh, free trade across the 50 states, you know, 
And I do worry if a state like uh, New Hampshire were to secede, I mean, are we going to be able to remain those, retain those kind of those free trade relationships? Are we suddenly going to be having uh, uh, tariffs and trade barriers like put up against, uh, you know, against an independent state from from the tyrannical 49? Like, what, what does that look like? Um, so I guess the devil's in the details there. I'm not closed minded about it, but I am a skeptic uh, that we're at that point right now uh, and what a transition like that would would look like. Um, but the uh, but the dialogue is healthy. Um and um, I don't know. I'll be curious to see where where things continue to go. And I I do think it is a healthy symptom symptom that uh, of people realizing that um, uh, so much of the federal government is is not reformable. Um, frankly, I I guess my 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 ideal scenario would just be like all the fifty states to secede together from Washington D.C. You know, we'll just like quarantine them, build a wall around Washington D.C., and the rest of us can go on living our lives. Well, and for people who are thinking, oh, my God, this is crazy, this is radical, what are these guys talking about? I mean, think about, like, France, Germany, you know, lots of Europe used to be one big blob. And over time, you know, uh, the Austro-Hungary Empire became lots of little states. And, you know, the yeah. fact that the French speak French and, you know, the Germans speak German, and it, everything's okay. You know, like the Portuguese are Portuguese and all that stuff. And everything's fine. They have their own currencies. They have their own trade agreements. Obviously, there's things that could be uh, much better. But it's not like the end of the world happened when, you know, one big state become lots of smaller ones. And in, in some ways, you got the benefits of all these different policies, like we mentioned before. Maybe France says, hey... We're going to use nuclear reactors. We think that's the best way to power our country. And Germany would say, oh, my God, nuclear weapons, like something, something, something. Uh, yeah. we, we need to do, you know, solar power. And then yeah. at the end of the day, you'll see, oh, my God, the Germans are freezing to death and the French are actually doing OK. Uh, so you <laughs> can at least have this test case. Yeah. And here in America, if any state wants to, uh, you know, explore nuclear power, you got to get sign off from all these federal bureaucrats that block everything. So, yeah, um, <laughs> if we could have radical decentralization again within our current system, that would be ideal. But if uh, we're going to keep seeing power concentrated in Washington, D.C., we got to look for different strategies. So a couple of final questions here as we start to wrap up. What are some books and resources? Obviously, checking out the Free State uh, in New Hampshire would be would be a good one just visiting and maybe chatting with uh, Eric and, and some of his friends. But what are some books? What are some resources that people can check out just to say, hey, I, I want to learn more about this. I want to learn more about alternatives. You know, maybe I do want to homeschool my kid. Um, what, what are some options? What are some resources you might recommend to someone like that? Well, if you want to learn about the Free State Project, first, I would say go to FSP.org. You can learn more there or follow us on social media like on uh, X or Facebook. Um, but really, um, beyond kind of learning about it online, the very best thing you can do is just come visit. And we have great events. I mentioned earlier this March, I'm going to put in a little plug in here. We have the new, our annual event, the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, which is kind of a conference. We're talking about there's, there's going to be a huge uh, sound money presence um, at the New Hampshire Liberty Forum this year, both on cryptocurrencies and gold and silver. Uh, we've got some great keynote speakers who are coming, including Brian Kaplan, an economist from George Mason University, uh, Glenn Jacobs, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, and the WWE superstar Kane, right? Probably the only person in America who can body slam you while he quotes Mises and Rothbard. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is joining us. Uh, we're very excited uh, to have her. And people apparently uh, Donald Trump mentioned recently she's on the short list for uh, wow. vice president so that's very interesting i'd be curious to see a, a rematch between her and kamala harris in a vp debate we'll see uh but anyway she's going to be speaking with us at the new hampshire liberty forum and that's going to be from friday march 15th to sunday march 17th people can get tickets for that at nhlibertyforum.com great 
time to come out, meet folks in New Hampshire um, and see some great speakers. But then there's also this summer, which is an event that um, has really become very popular. Um, people from all around the country come to join us for this, which is the Porcupine Freedom Festival uh, in June. Uh, this is a family-friendly freedom festival. It's the largest liberty festival in America. It's going to be from June 17th to the 23rd. Um, Ron Paul is going to be speaking with us. He's joining us virtually. Uh, he doesn't travel as much as he used to for understandable reasons. But we're also going to have Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Jeffrey Tucker, James Bovard, David Friedman, uh, many more folks. Um, people can get tickets for that at porkfest.com. That's pork with a C, not a K. Because if you go to pork with a K, porkfest with a K.com, you might get some great barbecue tickets or something. Might be delicious, but it's not going to be the family friendly freedom festival that you're looking for. So, uh, those are two great events that you can, that you can come out. You can join us. Uh, all of your audience can, um, and come experience New Hampshire. L uh, let me ask you, have you ever been to the porcupine freedom festival? No, but I'm definitely thinking of coming this year after that after that uh, quick promo. <laughs> well, you you absolutely should. We'd love to get the folks from Monetary Metals uh, to to join us, and and of course, like it's a great audience for you guys. Like everyone, all these libertarians gathered in one place. Everyone caring about sound money and ending the Federal Reserve, and you guys have one potential answer. So, um, we'd love to have you guys uh, at at um, any of our events in the future. Now, I want to do a quick lightning round with you. I just asked you some fun ones. You give me the yes or no. Uh, I'll, I'll start off easy. And of course, you can always pass on any question. Uh, you can even send it my way if, you, if you'd rather not answer. All right. So we'll start <laughs> with a really hard one, which is, who would you rather choose to have an hour-long lunch with? You get Mises or Rothbard. Hour-long lunch, you get to ask many questions. And of course, they both speak perfect English. Uh, and they know everything about crypto and everything that's going on. You, know? uh, you get to ask any questions you want for one hour. Who do you pick, Mises or Rothbard? I'd pick Rothbard because I think I'd be able to understand him better. I I think Rothbard was just better at kind of uh, 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 communicating things more on the level of the common man. Um, so um, uh, both brilliant in their own right, but I, I worry that Mises would talk over my head a little too much. <laughs> okay, next one. You have an option. You can only choose gold or silver. And I know you're inclined to monetary metals. I don't know what uh, metals yeah. you're interested in, but you can only choose gold or silver. Which one would you pick? You know, I've been inclined towards silver mostly because it's got um, it seems to have a lot more industrial purposes that kind of um, uh, I think see a high kind of upside on on demand for silver. Um, so uh, so I've mostly been uh, between the two. I've mostly been investing in silver. OK, now here's a tougher one. You can't live in New Hampshire. You either have to start living in California or in New York. Where do you pick? Oh, man. I can't pick Maine. <laughs> uh, if I have to, if I if I have to pick California or New York, I did live in New York for uh, about a year and a half, and I did love it, except for the tyranny, because I I was a professional actor in New York City. So, though I guess I don't know after COVID and everything, they really screwed up the theater scene there. Um, I guess I I guess I would choose New York because it's close enough that I can travel to New Hampshire. Okay, and then final one. So a lot of people are worried about. The Fed raising rates if there's going to be a recession. In your opinion, do we see a recession this year? Do we even get a backfilled recession maybe? And they say, oh, my God, we've been in one this entire time. Or do you think the Fed says, hey, we're going to keep papering over this until election season and everything actually smooths out okay? Hmm. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller. Um, I would guess. 
I don't know. I, I you know, I, I don't see them really being able to really effectively shut off the, the money spigot. So, um, I, you know, I guess we're between a rock and a hard place. I, I, I would guess that they, that they continue inflating, um, because it's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to say no, especially in election season. Okay. And then, then truly final one. This is just a fun one for me. Do you think Biden is the nominee or do you think he gets replaced? Um, I think he's, I do think he's the nominee. Um, I, because I think that they're really backed into a corner where, uh, it's going to be very difficult to take Biden out without putting Kamala Harris in because she's the second in line and there's all the identity politics surrounding her, but she is tremendously unpopular. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think Biden's probably the nominee. Okay, where can people find more of you? Where can they follow you on social media if they want to hang out? Chad, maybe even message you to hang out in New Hampshire. Where's the best place to follow you and find more of your work? Um, you know, the the most um, where I'm most active is on X. You can follow me at Senator Brakey. Um, you can see floor speeches I'm given in the Senate about gold and silver or all the other liberty issues. You can see my random thoughts and musings about liberty. You can see what we're doing, what what I'm doing, what we're doing with the New Hampshire Free State Project. So check me out there. And uh, it has been an honor, Ben, to speak with you for this hour. It's been so fun. I can't wait to meet you in person. Hopefully I get to see you at Pork Fest. Shake your hands, take a cool picture, maybe in exchange some gold and silver while we're there. And thanks so great. much for listening. If you liked it, make sure to subscribe. Follow Mr. Brakey on X, Twitter, LinkedIn, anywhere you can find the guy. You just got to be listening. Thanks so much. And thank you for the fun interview. Thank you, Ben. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions, and are gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time.